In this series, we're taking a look at the three great enemies of our faith and how Jesus Christ, through his life, death, and resurrection, has claimed decisive victory over them all. So the ultimate message of this series is take heart because we have every reason to rest in his work and feel empowered and encouraged to live our lives, in fact, to live them well. Last week, we brought you through the story of the Satan, Ha-Shatan, that lying, tempting accuser and his desire to leave us thinking that Jesus' victory is somehow incomplete or otherwise insufficient. But I assure you, this victory cannot be overturned. But here's the question. Do you feel victorious? If I'm being honest, I feel beat down and even like a failure at times. We have things happening in our lives that feel uh, no control over. Uh, And the things we do and can control, we often don't. I want to be a good husband, but my wife, I I can be impatient with her or angry. I want to be a good dad, but I can neglect pouring into my children. I want to be a good son, a good brother, a good co-worker, but I can be so self-absorbed that I make these good things secondary. And this brings us to the second enemy, our sin. You see, the evil of our adversary's work has a way of tainting all of our lives. So today, I want you to consider how Satan's work and our own fallenness influence the things we think and do. So let me use an illustration that gets to the core of the second enemy. This season not only brings decorations of death, but also scary movies. There is a common moment in many of these films You know it, that moment when you watch the scared child approach a door and the camera angle moves just to her hand as she reaches across empty space to grab the handle. She begins the slow anguish of turning that knob, hesitating and then pushing the door open to reveal a small gap of looming shadows. What inevitably goes through our minds? What might you hear shouted in a movie theater? Don't open that door. Regardless of what happens next, deep within our humanity, there is this part that knows on the other side of the door is something dangerous, something evil. It makes us shudder, but somehow, simultaneously, we reach toward that same symbol- those same sim- sim- the same symbolic doors in our lives and turn the knob to open them. Maybe it's a lingering glance at someone, not your spouse. Maybe it's the return to that substance that you were... Uh, addicted to, or maybe it's you not doing the thing you were supposed to. You see, this tension-filled, often enticing feeling is thoroughly biblical. At the very beginning of the Bible, just after the story of Adam and Eve, we're invited into a story of two brothers, Abel and Cain, one who brings an acceptable sacrifice to God and one who does not. There's no explanation of why. But here's the interesting thing. God sees what's coming. And what does he say to Cain? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Most of us know the next part of the story, murder, Out of jealousy, Cain invites his brother into the field, into his turf, and kills him. Much like the movies of this season, darkness prevails. 
But did you notice that God doesn't, what God does not say? He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So a discerning reader might expect the second part of the statement to say, if you do not do well, you will not be accepted. Or when you do not do well, I won't love you anymore. But incredibly, God does not say this. Instead, he graciously warns Cain and every generation that would come after him. He says, when you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. You see, he does not reject Cain, but describes sin as a beast, a beast waiting on the other side of the door, waiting for you to open it just a crack. It wants to master you, but you must rule over it. When we are not doing well, when we don't feel victorious, the beast of sin is ready to pounce, ready to make its move. But here's the thing. Did you catch it? Sin is at the door. It does not say it has made it through. It has not broken the threshold. It's as if God suspends the action to make the the listener think, to make us hear God himself saying, please don't open that door. Brothers and sisters, be honest. Look around you. We know that we've opened the door. We all opened it and all stepped through. And there are beastly consequences that we and those close to us endure because of it. In fact, one person's sin has the tendency to attack the lives of those around us and those who will come from us. For the good of the church and the kingdom, we need to recognize that there are others among us struggling with similar beasts. Today, we're going to show you how true this statement really is. We reached out to a couple from our church family to talk about the doors they opened and the beasts they battle. Listen to these stories from people who struggle just like you. So my biggest problems initially since I was a kid were lust, uh, pride, and anger mostly. That grew later on into drug abuse and theft. I remember for lusting after women and everything. That started when I was a kid. I was in a Christian home. So it was like, hey, you know, I was praying God to help me get rid of it. But then I would always go back to it. Before I joined the Navy, like I may have acted out with everything, but things went really sideways without going into detail where, yeah, and it just uh, kind of rolled over from there. That leads to coming home from the military and all of it continued. I just traded alcohol for meth. And, uh, of course, jobs were lost afterwards, but I was still looking at the same women, still acting out in the same ways, and, yeah, it was miserable. It was like a rush and exhilarating, but it just left you dirty and me, dirty and empty, and, like, felt worthless. I didn't feel cared about. I just, it was the next thing to either get attention or satisfy some need inside of me. There was like, I never chased after money, I'm more chased after experiences. Hey, what can I do and get away with? What can I do that no one else has ever done? And that pushed me down a very, very dark road. The only time I really realized it was a problem was when I met Amy. We started having a lot of problems when we were in our addiction together. Then I ended up cheating on her and yeah, we ended up breaking up. I ended up going to jail and prison why is all this happening to me, God? This isn't fair. God pretty much smacked me upside the side of the head. Well, after I got out of jail, uh, well, 
prison jail. Started looking for a church, went back to a church Amy and I used to visit. The day I got out of prison, she went to jail that very morning. So God sent her away and worked on her and we stayed in touch and got back in touch. So the sins I've mostly struggled with is codependency, control, um, and drugs and alcohol. And it started, I believe, when I was younger. Um, I was in foster care and I didn't have control of my life. So every opportunity I could to have control over my younger brothers and sisters, me trying to protect them um, from an abusive aunt that was our foster mother, um, I would do that. I was trying to control my addiction, my drug addiction. Um, I would try to control it only doing it on the weekends or only, um, you know, doing it so that I can be able to go to school and be able to, you know, be in class. But I had no control. I had no control. I had to use, I had to drink. I had to do something in order to make myself feel better in order to at least make me think that I was feeling better. I had no control of anything. I had no control of my thoughts. I had no control over the people I talked to because if they were drinking or doing drugs, okay, well, I would hang out with them knowing that I shouldn't be. So the drugs and alcohol had control over me. I had no control at all to the point where I did not care. Um, I honestly didn't care. I would be going to the store in my pajamas, wouldn't even want to get dressed, wouldn't even care about my hair, nothing. And um, I used to always, when I, when I was younger, do my makeup, make sure I got up super early to get dressed and everything else. But in the point where I didn't care, I I don't even remember. I think I took showers every day. I, it was kind of, it was bad. It was really bad. Um, I didn't talk too much of my friends anymore. I. Uh, the only friends I did talk to was friends that I would drink or get high with. But even when I was drinking and using, I would always say, God, take this away from me. Take it away from me, please. I don't know how else to do it. I I can't do it without you. I, I truly can't. And he did take it away from me multiple times, multiple times he took it, and I still went back. I don't know why I didn't just go to him for prayer. I don't know why I didn't, didn't just go to him for comfort. I still went and took back my sin. In these people's lives, do you see some commonality? We have the tendency to open the door. Someone may be the beast to you and treat us poorly, but ultimately, we all open the door and spread our own version of beastliness. Along with the hymn writer, we were driven to ask, what can wash away our sin? Brothers and sisters, the best news is that you can truly take heart because there is one who has overcome the world. He never opened that door. In the Gospels, you see him being tempted by the chief of all beasts, the Satan himself. In fact, the book of Hebrews explains it this way. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, without opening any door, without any villainy of his own, he would stand at the door and take the worst that a rebellious creation would lay upon him. 
his life would be given as a substitute for our own. Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But it doesn't end there. Jesus not only avoids opening that door and offers himself as substitute, he offers us a different door altogether. I thank God I went through that experience because now I can help others as well, but also because it got me closer to God, like really got me closer to God. I, I wouldn't have been crying out to God and asking, help me, help me, help me, if I didn't go through the situations I went through. I would just continue trying to do it on my own or stuff it down and try to be in control of my life. Me always trying to be in control, I never got to experience other people's things. I never got to experience what other people like or see life differently than some, you know, my own self. Um, being in control is tiresome, very tiresome. I no longer like to be in control, I guess. I would say a lot of times, especially when it comes to children now, they ask me something, I'm like, um, <laughs> give me a little while, let me figure it out. When in all reality, I'm gonna go ask my husband, like, what do I do? <laughs> Tell me what to do, because I don't know what to do. So I, I've learned that, only through God I've learned actually, that I'm, I can't have control of anything. I don't need to have control. It's less, it's less stressful when I'm not in control. I'm way more peaceful when I just pray and ask God and ask others. And uh, he worked everything out. So when she got out of jail and prison, I was already grounded in a church going to CR. And actually she had women come around her and help her out in ways that I couldn't. But uh, God's just really worked through our family. So, I mean, I, I don't think you can find many people more far gone than we were. And yeah, I mean, you want to talk about drug addict, abusive, controlling, manipulative, lying, stealing, you name it. I, I don't think there was a commandment we weren't breaking on almost a daily basis. So, I mean, if God could use us and turn our whole lives around and restore our family on top of that, there, there's no one too far gone to have hope. You see, we who call Jesus King recognize his victory is already in hand. Even if our small daily battles seem at times lost, our King beckons us, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the door worth stepping through. Do you sense the tone in Jesus' words? This is language of victory and closeness, the language of family, even a royal family.
Families eat together. We invite others in. We care for one another. We come together to correct, to embolden, and to love one another. See, my friends, when we lean into Jesus' victory and picture ourselves as gracious recipients of that victory, then we step through this second door with our suffering, our experiences of sin, and our own beastliness, making it a weapon against sin itself as the Spirit of Jesus works within us to overcome it. And we are called to share this journey with our brothers and sisters. Jesus helps us when we are tempted. And now, by his mercy, his faithfulness, and the blood of his suffering, we are empowered to help each other when tempted. So, take heart and know that in the middle of your anguish, in the middle of your own beastliness, Jesus, our substitute, has brought new life. He brought new family. He is bringing new creation.